Hello, and welcome to another lovely episode of Radio SGN. I guess we, we haven't decided whether it's going to be lovely or not. That's up for you to decide. Uh, my name is A.V. Eichenbaum. My pronouns are they, them. I'm the editor-in-chief at the SGN. And with me, as always, Lindsay Anderson, she, her pronouns, one of our staff writers and a how do you describe yourself in conversation? Well, we discussed this in the office the other day that um, my official title is Meme, Meme Queen. Meme Extreme. So, yeah. I fucked that up. Meme Queen Extreme. <laughs> Try saying that five times fast. I could be Mean Queen <laughs> Extreme as well. You're too, like, petite to be mean. You know, like, you have a very friendly face. That's how I get you, though. When you see somebody that should be friendly and nice and they just come yeah. at you full swing, like... That, that's real mean, you know? Meanwhile, I have major, major RBF. I, I actually had to write on my chalkboard here a reminder to be kind. Because sometimes I forget. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I love right that. here in blue chalk. I, I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast a couple weeks ago, but my homophobic father came to mm. visit. He only spent about 15 minutes with me. But at one point I requested that his awful, awful girlfriend, that if we went out to dinner, that I could just have dinner with him and not his girlfriend. And he was like, I didn't really, it was, just, it was so hard for you to be kind. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, well, it so is. Well, so the reason I wrote this <laughs> on the board for me was um, we all got our photos taken. This, it's been a busy week at the SGN. A lot of like interacting and socializing. And that's exhausting for me. And I, I, I love you guys. You guys are fantastic. But um, Isabel said something in the car on the way back. That was really poignant, I think, and I'd like to share it. Isabel Mata, of course, Ask Izzy and Being Yourself Loudly, gives great advice. And she was talking about, we tell ourselves stories about other people, and we imply that they're true in our head, right? But if you, if you remove yourself from that, it is just a story you're telling yourself, because you don't know the full truth of any one person. And then I was thinking about that, and then I that kind of got me on this thought about, well, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, right? And I realized that all of the stories I tell myself about myself are not in the present. They're always in the past tense or in the future tense. I used to be this. I used to do this. I would like to do this. I want to do this in the future. But I don't focus on what I am being, right? And that can lead to a lot of frustration because I'm not living up to my own expectations and I'm not living up to who I thought I would be, you know, a long time ago. Do you do this? Do you tell yourself stories about yourself? Oh, all the time. But I just think it's because I have narcissistic <laughs> tendencies. So you, your story is, I am a narcissist and should be punished for my narcissism? Yeah, it's actually something that comes up in therapy a lot because my therapist has to routinely be like, you are not a narcissist because if you were... You wouldn't think you're a narcissist. I'm like, yeah, but look, I just talked about myself. I just paid somebody to listen to me talk oh, about myself. Like, yeah, it doesn't get more narcissistic than that, does I it? I can tell you from experience with narcissist, Lindsay, you're not a narcissist. Thank you. I don't know if that means anything coming from me because I also have. Uh, I'm a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a moody bitch, and I know it. Um, Oh, there we go. That's a story I tell myself in the present. There you go. Uh, yeah, there we go. And um, yeah, I was thinking about that and I, I mean, I guess what I would like to be is kind, you know? That's really overall. nice. Yeah, but it's like I am not always, and I, I'm not, not nice, 
I, I oh, nice and kind are very different. Yeah, I don't have the eyebrows to be nice. <laughs> so I just would like to be kind. And um, I sometimes need a reminder to to slow down and remember that, you know, the things I'm telling myself about the way things should be are not how the world actually is. Like we had an issue with the printer this week that I didn't realize until a week later. Our special issue was printed in reverse. We had the special cover on the inside for like most of the run. So not everyone saw the cool issue. And I got really mad. (laughs) Well, as you should, you worked so hard on that cover. Yeah, I did, but it's not about, the reason I worked hard on the cover wasn't for my own sake, right? I don't put my art on the paper because I'm like, oh, this is my art and it deserves to be out there. I put it on there to grab people's attention. And everyone worked so hard on that issue, and it's like a double issue, so it's twice the work for everybody. And I was very frustrated, but my my main frustration was it was an easy fix. It's just take the paper, reverse it, easy fix. Take the second section, put it on the outside. And nobody did that, and nobody told me about it for a week, and I've been so wrapped up in everything else. And I had to remind myself to be kind in that moment. Anyway, so I was thinking about Isabel's sort of the stories we tell ourselves, and yeah, that's what I want to... I would like to be able to truthfully tell myself that I am kind. And I know that I am not always. You know? I Mm -hmm. used to be patient. I used to be a much more patient person. And I still have that, but I worked in retail, shipping, and journalism for many years. And now I'm not patient anymore, and I think that kindness envelops that you know yeah i mean and not to be super cliche but going back to what our wise sage isabel mata uh wrote (laughs) for our for the last ask izzy the queer love edition um i think it goes hand in hand you know izzy wrote about how you need to love yourself to love other people more deeply and i think in the same vein you need to be able to show yourself kindness to fully show other people kindness you know like you can't you can't give out what you don't receive you know how, how are you going to show something to someone else if you don't see it yourself so yeah I guess, I guess that's just something that i have to work on and i hope this didn't bore anybody to tears and hopefully you can this can be your little reminder listener at home to be kind to yourself and to others because you know that's yeah. it's we're going to be talking about the news in a second here and uh <laughs> <laughs> Reminding you that the world is not a kind place. Sorry. you know, you can make it a little kinder. Speaking of kindness, we do have a really lovely guest this week. Diana Krishna uh, sat down with me. And we've got that chat and more after these messages. Pink, live in Tacoma. The Trust Fall Tour. Tacoma Dome, October 17th. With special guests Group Love and Kid Cut Up. Get tickets this Friday at 10 a.m. at LiveNation.com. The brand new album Trustfall is available now. Pink, the most spectacular show for one night only. For more, visit PinksPage.com. Hi, this is Dr. V Hill with V Hill Family Medicine, and I would like to tell you a quick story about my primary care practice. I had a patient text me about a cat bite injury to her hand and she was worried it was now infected. 
I saw her in clinic that day, cleaned the wound, and arranged for a tetanus shot and antibiotics, saving her critical time, an ER visit, and hundreds of dollars. If you want to know how direct primary care can benefit you, contact me at 253-693-0071 or at VIGILMD.com. Joining me today via Zoom is someone I'm excited for you all to meet. Uh, she's with Utopia Washington. I'm thrilled to have you. We met during the chats with DOH and everything about MPX, and you just, you struck such a well-informed and charismatic figure. I had to have you on the show. Diana Krishna. Everybody, welcome Diana Krishna on the show. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. And it's a, it's a pleasure and honor to be on this platform speaking with you. How did you end up in Seattle working with Utopia Washington? Where shall we begin? <laughs> from the beginning, beginning. Let me start from um, uh, introducing myself. Yeah. Um, my name is Diana Veronica Krishna and my pronouns are she and her. I was born and raised in the beautiful tropical isles of Fiji. If you don't know, Fiji is in the heart of the Pacific uh, Ocean. Mm. And it is a very, very beautiful, beautiful place to be. It has about 330 highlands. Most of, of them are inhabited. And it has a population of about less than a million. It is a democratic country and was a British colony once. I was born and raised over there, and as you may have noticed, my surname is Krishna, which means that my ancestors were from India. They were brought to Fiji as indentured laborers to work on the fields and sugarcane farm and the cotton fields, actually. And generations later, uh, you know, when Fiji became independent, a big population of Fiji Indians stayed back and that's how Diana was, uh, you know, born out of the resilience of this hardworking indentured laborers. In 2012, I moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and came to visit there. And I really loved everything, including how safe it was for me to express my identity as a trans woman without being, you know, looked down on or being judged or not being given opportunities. So when I visited Vancouver, I thought, okay, this is the place where I want to live and thrive. And that's that started my journey in North America. And uh, in 2016, I moved to Portland, Oregon. I got married in 2015 and my ex-husband was from Portland. So that was the reason why I, <laughs> I moved here. <laughs> well... I have no love for Portland, personally. We can we can shit talk Portland if you want. <laughs> you know, um, it's interesting. When I moved from Vancouver, BC, and I had lived experiences there, and I really, really loved it. It's a very metropolitan uh, city. Yeah. And I lived in downtown Vancouver in the West End, which is very pro-LGBTQIA plus, uh, you know, community over there, thriving. And when I moved to Portland, I, was, I had a culture shock. And it was my first time coming to America. I was like, where is the city? <laughs> you know, I was depressed, but it's only after I moved out to Seattle, that's when I started uh, thinking about how artistic and how beautiful and how amazing Portland is as well. Yeah, it's got its perks. Powell's is nice. <laughs> Let's talk about culture shock a little bit. I'm from California originally, which I feel like I talk about way too much on the show, so I'll leave it. But even just from a different part of the United States, moving to Seattle, moving to the Pacific Northwest, especially in the winter, very tough. And the people here are very 
Um, well, they're not Californians, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that, I guess. But what was that like coming from Fiji and then Canada? That's a very interesting question, actually. To navigate life in this part of the world, uh, specifically in the beginning, English was an issue because my accent or what was heard as accent for other people was sometimes I felt like they did not understand me. But I later realized that people, when they were conversing with me, they would be silent because they were surprised to hear the way I was speaking. For most part, they loved that accent, but they were shocked why, why I had a, you know, a different accent. They were trying to figure out where I am from. Also, understanding um, the American accent was kind of a little difficult in the beginning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah sometimes absolutely. I was lip reading people's <laughs> <laughs> to understand everything that they were saying. You know, we know that uh, everything here is very progressive and inclusive and things like that. But when I moved to um, North America, there were certain things where I found there's still a lot of, you know, there were a lot of things that were really great over here that, that's working. But there were also some, you know, real life situations where things really stood out to me. And, and I thought, okay, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done specifically when when it's surrounding issues of you know lgbtqi plus specifically trans folks because i feel like our identity and visibility is a good subject to talk about but when it comes to the, the processes as things are still in process like for example when i first moved to portland it was very difficult for me to find a job and i had about 20 years plus of uh, retail experience from Fiji, from New Zealand, from Canada, and, and I was bringing it here, retail experience, really uh, great uh, all around. And I could just not find a decent job because people would see my resume and everything when, until when they met me in person. I could see that my visibility was an issue at sometimes, and they would say, "Oh, uh, you are so overqualified for this job," you know, da 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 da, da and all those excuses. So I, I you know, <laughs> went and started as a part time at Macy's and found this job because they needed some part time work during holidays. And within two weeks of working there as a part time, I was hired full time and, you know, promoted to. So that started my journey. But initially, it wasn't easy. Visibility and the way we present ourselves, especially in positions where we have to interact with the public, the expression of it and the the fear of rejection is terrifying for for me and i know for a lot of other trans folks as well how did you cope with that how did you deal with that i have had extensive retail background from retail sales to management and and you know all aspects of retail management but when i was applying for a job i always had to start from the bottom like a sales associate to prove myself and then i saw that within months they were seeing my performance and and um, while I was applying for manager's role and I was would not be accepted but within within time that changed mm -hmm. because you know corporations the managers they saw that I was performing really really well I, I think you know gender diverse folks have great taste <laughs> and and has a great flair so they really do well in uh, retail because you know uh, as me I come from Indian heritage and in my culture, we are known as Ardh Nareshwar, as trans women. We are in Indian mythology or Indian Hinduism. 
we are revered as as a demigod, right? A demigoddess, which is a form of Shiva and Parvati. So we're revered well. And so in our culture, we believe that trans people are super, super talented. They, or gender diverse folks are super talented. They are blessed, basically. And this is a difficulty that I did not have to face back in my country. Because a lot of business owners had a lot of confidence in trans individuals. And here I found that usually the managers or, or the leadership roles were not really offered to trans individuals or, or specifically me. I had to go prove additional layers to them that, you know, I'm capable of this role. Even when, you know, they see all the results that we show in sales and customer service in, in managing a team. And then on top of that, we don't really get that manager's role. It goes to somebody else and they say, you know, you are so great at doing this. They make so so many excuses. And I know what the real reason is, right? It, it yeah. is opportunities taken away. And it's happening not only in retail, I think in, in many different levels of uh, work, right? Is that what led you to working with Utopia Washington? Is that feeling that that needs to change? That was the big drive. But uh, bigger than that was actually my, uh, you know, the need to do something. And in 2020, I was very comfortable at home getting unemployment because in the mid of the pandemic, George Floyd happened, right? And I, I saw that and, and the revolution that happened followed it. And it happened right a uh, day after my birthday um, on, on May 25th. And this whole revolution sparked me to do something. And I wanted to just come out and serve community because I felt in many ways, it wasn't it's not any way close to it, but in many ways, I've also lived those experiences where I had to shelter away from society. I had to hide. And, you know, I was living already this pandemic of, as a trans individual, um, a pandemic of isolation, which I think many trans individuals actually do live, or gender diverse folks. We don't really come out. We don't go to the malls as much as we would love to, or we don't mix with society. And and when the pandemic happened, and I felt like, oh, this experience that everybody else is going through is something that I've already been living, and I wanted to do something to contribute to you know prior to that i was a beauty stylist for big brands like george armani i had from arriving to to america to uh, and finding job i've succeeded in as a beauty stylist with george armani nibs and lauren and worked at nostrums uh, which was great and um but when george floyd happened i just wanted to do something for community it was always there And I thought this was the time for me to go and serve folks like me. And I was so lucky to to get an opportunity to serve as a COVID-19 response coordinator with Utopia Washington in uh, the mid of uh, 2020. And I left everything, my comfort and, and the freedom to stay home. I came out and started serving community. And my first day at work, we were distributing about six to 800 boxes of food to community member people from all walks of life they were coming up and picking up food this is a program that utopia washington was already doing and i was just blown away because here there were people from all walks of life cis men and women white black brown people from all different origins were coming to pick up boxes of food and guess who was bringing this about 20 or 30 pounds of boxes to their car? It was gender diverse and trans individuals. 
lifting these boxes and telling them, oh, you can just sit in the car. It's curbside picking and we'll bring the boxes to you. A lot of these folks who are coming to pick up the food here, we're very ashamed to come and even talk to us. But, you know, the pandemic actually helped us break those barriers and, and they opened up. They started coming with their children and they knew that we don't bite. <laughs> they found out. <laughs> In a way, I I sort of miss those earlier days, I guess it wasn't really earlier days of the pandemic, where people were open to their neighbors in a way. Do you feel like people are still treating each other with that respect and curiosity? I think with all the bad things the pandemic did and brought, yeah, one thing that it also ignited was the the care, right, um, mm. amongst. But I, I think, you know, I come from a different political background and living here and seeing what had happened, um, all the misinformation around, specifically around health-related issues, right? Yeah. It created such a diversion amongst people, like people who were talking to each other as friends, families. I think they went separate ways because of this poison called uh, misinformation or disinformation or, you know, the all the propaganda around it. And it just uh, divided people. And that is the sad part. And, you know, what part of my work as a COVID-19 response coordinator and part of big work around that a grassroots organizations like Utopia has been doing is has been mending those bridges, has been trying to uh, reconstruct those relationships to bring people together and bring communities together so that they um, start talking to each other. So there is still a lot of work to answer your question. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What are you doing these days with Utopia Washington? My work as the COVID-19 response coordinator was a contract. And when that finished, the executive director was very kind to offer me a role as a community care programs coordinator and was, you know, building and helping with the development of the Mapumaya Health Clinic. Now I'm specifically doing a development role. I'm a development associate here at Utopia and my work is to bring in the money <laughs> to, to do so much work. And, you know, it's probably one of a very difficult work because, you know, a lot of times we don't get those opportunities to get grants or, or even funding yeah. for the kind of work that we are doing. If I could add to that, um, I would like to emphasize here that Utopia Washington is hosting one of its biggest event. It is called Miss Island Goddess. If you've, if you've known Utopia's beauty pageant, they used to host Miss Utopia International before. So after three years of eight years, Utopia Washington is proud to present the re-emergence of the newly minted Miss Island Goddess. So it is a beauty pageant, which was formerly known as Miss Utopia International. It's happening in March. And uh, Miss Island Goddess hosts hundreds of people who get under one roof. Like there's about, I think, up to 650 tickets that will be sold. And it's all happening at the Federal Way Performing Arts Center. Saturday, March 11th, co-host Alexa Manila, who has been on the show and is a big friend of the the (laughs) newspaper and has been there. I can't wait to see how that shakes out. The uh, link to purchase tickets will be in our show notes. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. What? does a pageant like this provide for the community? Why is that so uh, integral to what Utopia Washington does? You know, it has a very significant impact, actually. This pageant is, is a voice. It's also a way of ensuring that we can continue 
to expand our work to protect our vulnerable population, right? Um, and provide information to hundreds of LGBTQIA community in Washington State about on health and safety resources as well. And create an environment where uh, queer trans Pacific Islander individuals and other LGBTQIA plus individuals uh, can survive and thrive. The reason why this whole thing, the big reason is to also celebrate our queer and trans individuals, but also to provide safe spaces and, and you know all the fundraising that will be done through this pageant. It's going to go towards so many you know grassroots work, including uh, Mapumaya Clinic, which we are, we are providing health clinics every month, including dental, HIV, STI testing, and prep navigation, uh, gender reaffirming care, and many other you know services that we provide. We provide uh, tools for our sex workers community. So this is a great way of supporting that great cause. Yeah. And again, a link to purchase those tickets will be in the show notes of this episode. We are just about out of time here, but can I ask you a soft question? Just to sort of something a little softer than the everything else we've been talking about. You are so stylish all the time. <laughs> do you have fashion tips or like just general sort of, how do, how do you get so stylish all the time? What are you doing? Thank you. I think it's a, it's a really big compliment coming from you. <laughs> I think the mantra that I've learned over the years is to keep it simple. You know, I always remind myself that less is always more. I try to minimize, which is extremely, extremely difficult in my situation because, you know, my stage name is Diana Shimmers and I love to shimmer and glitter all the time. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I have to remind myself, you know, to remove at least one item from my getup. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can we find you online? Uh, Utopia Washington is at utopiawa.org. If you go onto Utopia Washington's website, there is a page on events page. If you go, there's a few events uh, over there. Luau, Miss Island Goddess is the second tile. And if you click on that, it'll bring you to the Miss Island Goddess page. Or you can directly go to that page by typing utopiawa.org slash Miss Island Goddess. And you can buy tickets or sponsor or uh, donate. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. It's an absolute delight to have you. Pleasure was all mine. And we're back. Lindsay, we have not one but two feature op-ed artists. Uh, op-ed writers, op-ed uh, scribes at the SGN. Or... Can we call them op-educators, or is that appropriating teachers? But you and I need to have a conversation about your use of the word appropriation, because I'm not sure it always means what you intend it to mean. And I, I say that with the deepest amount of respect for you and your craft, because <laughs> I know it was a joke. <laughs> We have Isabel, and we've had her on the show now twice. We had another op-ed writer, Jack Hilovsky. He does a once-monthly little slice-of-life column for us. Um, he's been on the scene forever. You can go and listen to that interview. It's really great. Lindsay, you wanted to talk about Jack's take on winter. I did because, well, it's depressing, and Jack has some <laughs> survival tips for surviving until spring in Seattle, which not only is that a great alliteration, but I need to know how to survive because my vitamin D is not cutting it. We got, like, a taste of sunshine this week, and I'm, like, craving 
That's how I feel about the sunshine. You're craving I'm the craving sun. I'm craving the yes. sun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I get that. I don't have to tell you that I am still adjusting, even after f- almost six years, five or six years in the city, to not getting as much vitamin D as I used to. I'll say it anyway, though. My hometown, 300% more sun than Seattle, which is more than the average American city. Winter fucks me up, and I really, I have a sad lamp, I have vitamin D pills, and it's still not always enough. If you want to know one way to make people in Seattle hate you just a little bit more than they do by just going up to talk to them, tell them you're from Mm -hmm. California. Oh, yeah. I thank my lucky stars every day that I didn't decide to get a California tattoo. (laughs) Yikes, yeah. I know so many people from back home that are living in California, and they get the state tattooed on them. And they still live there? That's crazy. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we're very proud of our... I mean, it's it's the sixth highest GDP in the world. We're our own little tiny country. Let's shut the fuck up Back about to Seattle for a second. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, we both have very different... We're both transplants here, which we've mentioned on the show several times. Yes. But for me, like, even though the winter is gray and depressing and today it's just... It's not even raining. It's like the air is just sweating on you when you go outside. Mm-hmm. I, I still like Seattle winter better than the winters I used to have in eastern Washington because like what a lot of people don't realize is Seattle at least stays green during the winter. So there's like flowers all year round, which yes. is lovely. In Spokane, the grass dies in October and you don't see greenery. You don't see green grass again until May. Like, it's just brown, dead grass. The snow becomes gray, and it just sticks around, and it's awful. So, at least here we have flowers. That's Lindsay's take for staying staying happy in the winter. It's just to go outside and look for flowers. I found myself incredibly grateful for moss on concrete in the past few weeks walking home from the office. It is so beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I almost teared up talking about moss. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I need to get out more. Um <laughs> But let's talk about Jack's take. Yeah, so Jack kind of suggests maybe going to community events. He mentioned like uh, Pride Skate Night at White Center, which is super great. And if you like comedy, they also do comedy shows there sometimes, which is interesting to just be like skating around a rink while someone's telling jokes. (laughs) But yeah, LGBTQ plus out dancing every third Friday of the month at Century Ballroom in Capitol Hill or Tea Dance every Sunday. Um, a lot of, a lot of nightlife dancing stuff, uh, which is great because the nights are long, so you got more time to enjoy the bright lights. It seems like a lot of Jack's advice here is socialize. Yeah. Right? Like, find the warmth in the hearth of your community rather than at home alone. Yeah. That's great advice for a lot of extroverts out there. I myself am not an extrovert. I'm very much not. My social battery runs dry after a few hours. You're you're extroverted, sort of. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm extroverted, um, but my partner's definitely not. So right. I spend a lot of time at home. And for us, it's a balancing act throughout the year because in the wintertime, I feel definitely more introverted, more cozy at home to just like stay in, save money, watch a movie. Um, we've been doing a lot of our... Uh, you know what's on our pop culture radar and i mentioned this before but i've just been watching a lot more movies lately uh, which helps in the winter time but as soon as the sunshine comes back like my extroversion skyrockets and i'm like i need to go out i need to go to the parties i need to go to the beach we need to go to the park and i kind of drive isabel crazy a little bit because i'm always like 
let's go, 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 go until winter comes and I go into hibernation again. Yeah, I'm similar in that as soon as the sun comes out, I need to be outside, Mm -hmm. which is something I really like about this job, right? Uh, It gives me the freedom to be like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk, whereas working in shipping or whatever, (laughs) um, working... uh, I used to work at a McDonald's. You can't do that. Whenever you're like, oh, it's a nice day out. You can't just like leave the cash register <laughs> and go for a walk. It's a nice day. I'm just going to ship myself off. My boss at UPS used to, I was a shipping expert, international package recovery expert, and graphic designer at the UPS store I worked at. I did all of those things. And I was also a cashier because you kind of have to be. But um, on slow days, because it was in Santa Cruz, which is beautiful, even on a gray day, like you get that little lovely sun around like one in the afternoon. I would just be daydreaming the whole time on a slow day. And um, you can't do that when you work at a corporation like that. So my boss got so mad at me. But, I, you know, every time there's sun here, I, I run outside <laughs> as much as I can. Not run, I guess. I like to walk down by the lake and stuff. Me too. I went for a run today in the rain, and it just doesn't hit the same being outside in the... Oh, are you a runner? Are you you're one of those? I'm trying to be a jogging person. I played soccer my whole life, and so mm-hmm. a lot of, like, organized just going out and running. I, first of all, get really bored. So, you, like, my dad used to always say... you. There's some people that can just run and then other people that, you know, need sports to be able to exercise because you get bored running. And I'm the second person. But I also had insanely strict soccer coaches that would, like, force us to run every day. We didn't have practice. And we'd have to text them when we started running and text them when we stopped so they, like, knew that we did our running homework. And if they suspected we weren't doing it, we'd just run laps at practice. So it was running to me. I hate it. And it gives me, like, PTSD from these awful soccer coaches I had. But... Now I use it as uh, my time to listen to NPR podcasts, which I know you're not a fan of NPR podcasts. No, I'm not. I'm not not a fan of NPR podcasts. They have a lot of good and interesting stuff. I prefer like the Audubon Society's podcasts. They have a little bit more soul and a little bit more life to them. (laughs) And I prefer to think about birds over people. (laughs) If I'm being completely honest, there is a podcast series on the sage grouse that I highly recommend. And that's my walking (laughs) podcast is just learning about birds. I love it. Look, I do like what NPR does and I do appreciate their news coverage. It's just that their voices all taste like oatmeal. Hello and welcome to NPR podcast. Hi. Like if we were, (laughs) let's just take a second and introduce the next segment as though we're an NPR podcast because we have to move on. Yeah. Oh, you go first. Hi, you're listening to Radio SGN and today... We're going to be talking about the New York Times' transphobic remarks and biases. All that in just a second. You know what I mean? Like, this it's episode just of not... Radio SGN is brought to you by some pink. <laughs> this episode of Radio SGN is brought to you by the sage grouse. <laughs> sage grouse. They're weird looking birds, by the way. <laughs> Pause this show. Pause this show right now and go look up the sage grouse. And um, there's a huge fight actually going on to save their habitat, and it's like a huge deal. But they're weird-looking birds. Uh, anyway, now let's talk about the New York Times. Well, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the sage grouse now. Oh, my God. They've got tits. <laughs> that's not <laughs> That's not what those are, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> they look like, sure. they look like a... Kind of like a divorced mistress who might have actually killed her husband, 
but also like a drag queen trying to be a divorce mistress that might have killed her husband. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. They're queer. I claim them. I claim them to our community. <laughs> they should be the LGBTQ bird. You know, like how states have birds? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I want them to yeah. be the gay bird. Yeah. You got it, man. Okay. You heard it here, folks. The sage grouse, the official bird of the LGBTQ community. It's not even... <laughs> I don't even think they have locations in the pacific northwest i think it's mostly like montana and colorado and stuff that's so sad for a queer icon that they have to live in montana and colorado hey there's a burgeoning queer community in montana right now it's it's really up and coming and colorado denver especially anyway <laughs> really we got to move on we got to talk about the new york times yes so if you haven't been paying attention why would you <laughs> has been under some fire lately because they uh, had a lot of op-eds last year and a lot of transphobic articles that they like leaned transphobic and they were spreading a lot of misinformation about the trans community based on who was writing and they as a journalist i want to say this first and foremost i've been doing this 14 years now that's half my life the new york times was like the bastion the pinnacle the uh, the sort of idol of all American journalism for a really long time. And so people still use it as a source, a resource. They point to it when they're like, these are the facts. And that's not the case anymore. And it's really heartbreaking when you see Republican senators point to the New York Times' transphobic op-eds to be like, well, they said in the New York Times that this is damaging our kids. Um, so GLAAD and a bunch of other people, 100-plus organizations and celebrities and 180 former New York Times contributors all called out the New York Times on their coverage in the last year, saying that it's really harmful. And the New York Times responded, hey, we're proud of that. We're proud of our coverage, actually, and claimed that it wasn't biased. And then the next day, Thursday of, of this past week, they they had an op-ed in support of J.K. Rowling. Just nailing, nailing in the coffin right there. Yeah, um, it really could have been a bigger piece. There was so much to unpack here. Let's, let's talk about it because we don't have a whole lot of time left. You kind of summed up the story pretty well that they've fallen from grace for a lot of queer readers. But also, I think we really need to look at the damage that's been done when such an important publication has such blatant negativity towards the trans community. And I mean, there's a whole nother layer to it as well that these are mostly op-eds because, I mean, op-eds by definition, they're opinion-based pieces. So, right. you know, you shouldn't be taking op-eds as equal to, you know, a different article that maybe is more researched, more backed up and written in more of an academic way. Um, but I think it's also interesting how you brought up conservatives now citing New York Times op-eds to defend some of their transphobic rhetoric and policies because a lot of conservatives that I know, um, and I'm really pulling from my dad here, I hated the New York Times. I would try to quote the New York Times on something and my dad would say they are the biased liberal media, the fake news. So it's also interesting <laughs> to see a pivot happen among, you know, the conservative thinking. Yeah, it's... Interesting. I remember a time when the New York Times was not considered one or the other, or maybe it was considered more of like a liberal elitist paper. 
because they use slightly larger vocabulary. So when I was going to school for journalism, way back in 2009, at the age of 14, uh, and, and from then on, people pointed to the New York Times and they were like, look, the New York Times has a very specific style and they use an elevated linguistic style in order to portray sort of a heightened, educated stance, right? So it gives them more clout. I'm going to use the word clout Mm because we don't talk like that. We specifically don't do that because that's not how people talk and we're a paper for the people, you know? Mm -hmm. When you're writing journalism, if you want to reach the most amount of people, it's not about dumbing it down necessarily, but it, it is about using words that everyone can understand you know, or defining words that people don't necessarily understand in a helpful way. And the New York Times doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. And so they've been considered sort of a highly educated lot, uh, a group of journalists that utilize their vocabulary to the utmost, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of local papers don't. And CNN doesn't do that. You know, MSNBC doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, Fox News, The New Yorker, sort of does that. The New Yorker is more of an arts and entertainment magazine, but the New York Times is supposed to be unbiased, is supposed to be thought of as this really prime example of what journalism can be in the United States. And again, it just hurts. It just, it stings Mm -hmm. as a gender diverse individual, a gender diverse journalist, especially, to know that this thing, this idol of mine in a way, gives no shits about me and and refuses to <laughs> refuses to try to care in any way that is helpful um they're not going to hire any trans people it sounds like which is one of the the requests from this letter demands let's call it a demand um and that blows it really blows yeah well it brings up another kind of connected since all of this transphobic bullshit is connected but the supreme court is going to be hearing a case pretty soon about whether or not it's legal to do what the new york times might be doing and refuse to hire trans people or refuse to hire queer people refuse to serve lgbtq people if you are a business so again yes they're they're having that whole lawsuit again um jesus I think the the last verdict was small independent businesses can discriminate when it is a religious reason behind their discrimination. I think this this next one, I I have to read more about it, but I think it's a more general discrimination case um, that would, I mean, because the New York Times can't claim religion as a reason not to hire trans people, but they may be able to still refuse to hire trans people in the near future. I just feel like a broken record at this point. You know, Washington State just celebrated its 10-year anniversary of marriage equality Mm -hmm. last week. And, you know, in a decade of marriage equality for this state, we still don't see, you know, equality as a whole. And I, the fights just continue to be won and nothing changes. I, I, I'm so exhausted. I've been thinking a lot about this this week, and it's a political move to give small victories to marginalized groups when they are fighting so hard. And um, you saw that with the civil rights movement, that they ended segregation, which honestly is a small victory when you look at the fact that in reality schools remain segregated along class lines so without providing 
you know, proper financial accommodations and reparations to people of color, they still remain in places where they don't have the same resources that white people do. And you could look at that with the LGBTQ community as well, that marriage equality as a whole was a small victory to maybe distract from the fact that our rights our actual, you know, legal rights to personhood and to not be discriminated against that go further beyond just marriage are still under attack. They do these small things so they can point to it. You know, oh, we had a black president, so racism is over. And they ended Jim Crow, so racism is over. And gay people can get married now. So it's okay, even though trans kids can't participate in sports and the New York Times isn't going to hire trans writers, the LGBTQ community is doing okay. Yeah, I do want to say... If I were ever to work at the New York Times, just putting this out there, guys, I'm non-binary. Get to that New York Times. But I'm also very, I'm like mask passing, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, if the New York Times were to hire someone like me, I basically fit all of their boxes except for the non-binariness. Like, I would be like the most milquetoast choice Mm -hmm. to work at the New York Times. Yeah. But I'd be a safe bet. Hey, New York Times, if you're hiring... (laughs) (laughs) Let's turn this around, folks. Tear it down from the inside. Oh, boy. I hope that came across as a joke and not a desperate cry for help. (laughs) That's our show, everybody. Viewers, it's up to you to determine whether or not Ash is a sellout. Look, Lindsay, I've been poor for so long. (laughs) (laughs) Look, let's, let's, hold on, let's, jokes out of the room, jokes aside. If anyone wants to donate to the SGN so that we can continue to eat, I would love that. I would love that. My rent just went up $125. Yeah, cue the Arms of the Angels song. God, that sounded bad. Um, look, seriously, look guys. Sad queers. If you like what we're doing and you want to support the SGN, do it. You can. You can donate. There's a pink donate button at SGN.org. You can you can give as much as you want. You know what? If you're somebody that donates or subscribes to the New York Times and you don't like that transphobic fuckery, pull your donations from them and give to us because we won't be transphobic. Follow us at Seattle Gay News on Instagram, at Radio.SGN on Instagram. Uh, we're trying to get more active on Twitter. It's we're, we're doing a whole sort of revamp of our social media space. Go listen to Being Yourself Loudly, which is the other podcast on the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network now, and um, pick up a copy of the paper. If you need more copies of the Queer Love Issue, I've got a few. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in the funny pages. Radio SGN is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Lindsay Anderson and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show was provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on sgn.org or wherever you find podcasts. This podcast is part of the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network.